0: now scotland's talk in call oh triple three 2020 401 and join the debate
1: Hello, and a very good morning. Welcome to this week's edition of Scotland's Talkin'. And on the programme today in the year 2019, should we still have a state run school just for girls? The people of Glasgow are going to be given a say on the future of Notre Dame High. We'll be hearing from parents on both sides of the argument.
2: It's the last of its kind in Scotland. It encourages, supports, and develops young women to reach their full potential.
3: This is Glasgow's opportunity to end gender discrimination.
1: Also on the programme between now and midday, I want to know what you think of calls to allow asylum seekers
4: to become job seekers. We've got very talented people here that have fled traumatic circumstances and they really want to contribute and they can contribute and have a very strong work ethic. And we'll meet Bruce who gave up a big job in banking
1: to retrain as a nurse. Although I enjoyed the job, there was something missing, there was something not there. And I thought, you know, what else can I do? So, yes, I gave up all the perks of working for a bank
5: and came to work for the health service.
1: I'd like to hear your stories of making a big career change. This is Scotland's Talking. It's all about conversation. Scotland's Talking, The podcast. I'm Ali Bally. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Uh, Not the best of mornings as far as the weather is concerned, but hopefully we'll keep you entertained for the next few hours. Um, Starting off today with a question for you. Should Scotland's last state school for girls start taking in boys? A consultation is... You you may not be aware there is one of these schools, but um, OK, here we go. Consultation is going to be held in Glasgow about the future of Notre Dame High School. It's in the west end of the city. It's been going for 120 years, it's run by the council, and it's just for girls. Although these days it takes in all denominations. There are three options on the table. No change, widening the catchment area, or letting in boys. So do you think there's still a place for a school just for girls in the 21st century? Is it discriminating against boys or should parents have the choice? And a question that comes to mind is, should the taxpayer be funding that choice? Interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, a private girls only school in Glasgow announced it was closing because of falling numbers of pupils. So we hopefully will have a couple of parents joining us from Notre Dame to to see the issue. They see it very um, differently. Uh, First of all, Michelle Watt is chair of the uh, Parent Council. Michelle, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. So how do you see it then? Tell us a little bit bit of the background of this.
2: Um, Well, I represent the parents of the high school currently um, and what we feel at the moment is that it's going to be most impacted, hasn't really had its voice heard as well. Um, we think that the impact of changing the status of the school goes way beyond the affluent West End where one local primary school is calling for this change. That particular primary school is exceptionally well served by the top performing COVID secondary schools. The high school is is almost full. Um, there's a majority, as you say, it's a multi-faith school now with the majority of families from diverse cultures and backgrounds actively choosing to send their girls there. We have about 72% of placing requests. So it is very much about choice and removing that extra choice will, ha- will, in fact, remove improved opportunity for those areas of the city who don't have the top performing schools on their doorstep. You know, I think we really need to be having a different conversation and not protect, not really focusing on the single-sex mm-hmm. aspect of it. Um, we need to be looking at, you know, the fact that this school should be held up as an exemplar in our community. The same way that Jordan Hill or the Gallic School are, you know, like them, it offers Glasgow families additional choice, high academic performance, and helps close the attainment gap. You mentioned about discrimination. Well, according to the Equalities Act 2010, education, single-sex education, is not discriminatory. So, to have that as part of the argument doesn't really make sense to me. This wonderful public school, the last of its kind in Scotland, encourages, supports, and develops young women to reach their full potential, and it has done so for over and done so very successfully for over 120 years. I don't understand the challenge of removing choice from many, many families across this city to give further choice to a very affluent and very well-provided-for area that has co-education secondaries available to them and actually has the top-performing co-education Catholic school with automatic entry for boys and girls. You know, I, I, just, I just think it's a very skewed argument.
1: Right. It's, you're saying it's, it's um, you know, academically is a, a very good school. I take it then that there is a, 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 a big demand from pa- parents from across yes. from across Glasgow.
2: They come from very, very wide areas. And actually, you know, the, the great thing about the school as well is that it's very, very well served by public transport. So we have, you know, a subway less than five minutes away and many, many of the girls you know, as I say, 72% are, actual, are actually requesting to come to that school of the families that are there at the moment. The school's almost full. The roll call sitting at about 90%. And you know, many of those children travel by train, by bus, by subway to get there. You know, they don't have the option of walking across the street to go to the school of their choosing. So I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't really understand the, the other argument um, with regards to taking away that choice for those families.
1: Why would um, uh, a parent in today's age and things that are going on, etc., why would a parent want to send their child to a female-only school? Why do you want to send yours there?
2: Well, I think, you know, I, the school has proven itself as being very one of much of inclusivity, diversity and encouragement. And I think, you know, that given that we're still in a society where billions of women are not treated equally to men, Those schools have proven that their nurturing environment encourages women to go on to be the best they can be. Um, And again, as I said earlier, it's about removing that choice. Unfortunately, we don't have a a public all-boys school to compare it to. But it's very, very much encouraging those women to go forward and thrive. And sadly, we live in a world that is unequal and women are still fighting to be equal with men. The great thing about an all-girls school is that your gender doesn't matter. It, you don't think about it, and many of the school girls here at the school at the moment tell us that that's the one encouragement they find in order to go on to those very important STEM subjects, which the Scottish Government is encouraging us to, you know, to do better at at the moment. So those girls don 't have to think about boys versus girls when they 're in a single sex environment, and they're very much you know their heads are held high on leaving that school to go on to further education as you you know I know many many um, colleges at the moment who are looking at single sex delivery in the subjects where boys and girls don 't do well. you know there are now women only courses into engineering men only course, courses into childcare because there are divisions in our society that aren't, we aren't quite um, m- you know, filling the gaps in, and this school is helping to do that.
1: Okay let's bring in uh, Jill Grady uh, Jill is from the group uh, Notre Dame High for All. Good morning Jill Hi
2: Ali
3: thank you so much for having me on this
1: morning. That's alright so you, you've heard what uh, Michelle is saying uh, that the, the, the argument is probably one sided at the moment what, what's your thoughts on this then?
3: Well, let me explain to you why I'm here today and also why I'm campaigning for this. Notre Dame High School is a local catchment, state-funded school in the West End of Glasgow. It's there to support its local community. Yet right now, Notre Dame High School is closed to boys, even though the Peter schools, and that's not just Notre Dame Primary, which Michelle mentioned, they are are all co-educational. So there's no automatic right for the boys and girls to attend those primary schools, to go to their local community secondary school with their friends, with their brothers and sisters, together in that local community. And what we're seeing is, in the 21st century, to continue with gender discrimination is absolutely wrong, and we must take this opportunity to open the doors of Notre Dame High School to those local boys and girls. And if I might just pick up, and Michelle mentioned the affluent West End. Now, absolutely, there are pockets of affluence in the West End, But I don't think it's fair to say that all of the West End is affluent. It takes in Partick and Anderson and Maryhill will all be part of a co-educational catchment area for Notre Dame High School. And allowing children from those areas, which are more deprived um, in terms of affluence, have access to their local community school is the right thing to do.
1: Right, Michelle. In in these times that councils are looking at cuts in education budgets, etc., etc., it's is it is it really right that we, as a council taxpayers, should be or council taxpayers in the Glasgow area, anyway, should be funding a school that is really a bit exclusive? Is it not?
2: I think it's right that we should be funding choice for families across this city. Um, there are, as, as I say, the biggest impact of change will be in families from yet yeah, from right across the city, from culturally vibrant and actually much more deprived areas. But just to address one point, Notre Dame Primary has ten different areas that feed into it, and yes, it is co-educational. But those ten different areas may have secondary schools that are actually closer to them. So by the time children transition to secondary, they have a wide variety of choice. that's available to them, why remove one of the top performing schools that is doing its job, encouraging young women, developing them to reach their full potential. And the great thing about this city is its inclusivity and the fact that it encourages difference. You are taking choice away from many, many girls across many different backgrounds to offer even more choice to a much, much more reduced area. I just don't. I don't. I think we should be supporting that absolutely, without a, you know, without a heartbeat thought.
1: Okay, Joe, your thoughts on what Michelle was saying?
2: I, I'm
3: absolutely baffled, Ali, that that and Michelle can be suggesting that these children who attend these co-educational primary schools have choice. They do not have choice. The um, schools in the neighbouring area to Notre Dame High School, which is not almost full, it's eleven percent under capacity the um, secondary schools in that area are full and overflowing. And the children who attend Notre Dame Primary and the other um, denominational um, primary schools in that area do not have an automatic right to attend neighbouring schools, which are denom- uh, non-denominational. They have to go through a placing request uh, lottery. Um, the local school, England Secondary, um, refused 70 placing requests last year. So they absolutely do not have a right to go there. Yet every single day at Notre Dame High School, there are 83 seats that are empty. Ali, you mentioned the um, council cuts to budgets, and um, I think the teaching union have suggested that every single school in Glasgow will have a £30,000 cut to their budget next year. Yet there's 83 seats that are empty that could be fully utilised by allowing local boys and girls attend that school, that would take pressure off other local schools, which, as I mentioned, are full and overflowing, and, and also would help in these times when
2: budgets are tight.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you mind if I just jump in for yeah, one point? Yeah, of course. Point? On you go. Um, I think it's interesting, though, that if you, if, you change the co-ed, if you change Notre Dame High School to a co-ed status, it doesn't deal with council cuts. All it does is move families around a little bit. And a perfect example of that is Clevedon Secondary School, which is sitting currently about, you know, five minutes away, and it's sitting at 60% capacity. It used to be an all-girls offering and was changed to become a co-ed secondary. It didn't improve the attainment. It didn't improve capacity. And if anything, maybe the council should be looking at other schools in the area that are doing much, much more, you know, they're not as efficient as Notre Dame in terms of the attainment levels and in filling the school. And contrary to the, the belief about the school not being full, that roll call is growing year on year and it is sitting at 90% at the moment. So next year, it will undoubtedly hit
3: 100%. If I may just jump in, Ali, I think um, it, the, the role at Notre Dame High School, which is, a local catchment school. Glasgow City Council has said it's a local school for the local community, yet only 20% of the girls who attend Notre Dame High School actually come from its local community. Children in the local community, boys and girls, want to be educated together. They do not want... At that absolutely vulnerable stage in primary seven, when they move to secondary school, they want to be with their friends, with their family. My daughter, Anna, is age seven, and she's already concerned about being able to go to school with her friends and with her brother, yet she's denied that opportunity within our local um, community when that school is a local community school. Um, And and the rest, the 80% of um, girls who attend Notre Dame High, as you've mentioned, they come from across Glasgow and beyond Glasgow, outside the city of Glasgow. Um, And and as we say, when there's budget cuts, um, this is an opportunity for us to give local people access to their local school, boys and girls together.
0: So local local
2: families have access to the top performing co-ed secondary schools that are on the doorstep of Notre Dame High. They have automatic entry to their local Catholic secondary school less than two miles away. I don't understand this. If you're talking about local meaning walk across the street as opposed to walk to the bottom of a hill, it's a very, very, very singular argument.
1: Jill and Michelle, for the moment, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for for laying the groundwork there for us, um, and you know, uh, and setting the arguments out. Um, we will speak to to Sue in a moment. Uh, Sue is uh, Sue Hinks is president of the Girls' School Association. Uh, we'll chat to her after these. You're listening to Scotland's
6: Talkin' the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's
1: Talk-In. And just before the break, we were asking, should Scotland's last state school for girls start taking in boys? And we had the view of Joe Grady from the group Notre Dame High for All and Michelle Watt, chair of the Parent Council. Joining us now then is Sue Hinks, president of the Girls' School Association. Uh, Good morning to you, Sue. Good morning. Why do we need girl-only schools, Sue?
0: Well I think we need to give parents choice Um, and one of the great things about girls only schools is that in them girls don't go for stereotypical um, options so we know that um, girls who want to do physics and maths um, are often dissuaded from doing that in co-ed schools because they see them as boys subjects but in a girls school like the one I run uh, those are very very popular options and we know that we need more females in those uh, sorts of fields.
1: In this society today, do, do you really feel, feel it's necessary to split boys and girls?
0: I really do. I mean, you've seen all of the um, Me Too uh, business, um, and you'll be aware that uh, girls often complain that they um, are treated um, as sexual objects in uh, co-educational schools. That's something that doesn't happen in girls' schools, where they feel empowered uh, to be themselves and to relax. And I'm sure you're also aware that um, the evidence shows that girls outperform, uh, girls in single-sex schools outperform uh, children in co-ed schools. Um, so I think. Um, that's the case in Notre Dame, isn't it, which is the second um, school in the city uh, with 69 percent of the girls achieving three or more in hires.
1: So does this, in your mind, then prepare young women uh, better for going out into the world than uh, attending uh, a co-ed school?
0: Well, school isn't just about preparing for going out in the wide world um, and most girls are going to have opportunities to meet boys um, in other fields. So I think in the classroom they can get on with learning uh, and if they want to then hone their ability to uh, mix with boys, they can do that in many, many other um, environments.
1: But girls' school, I would presume, and I I don't know, I'm asking this question just because I want to know the answer, Um, is there rivalry between Girls in an all girls' school in the same way that there may be rivalry between girls and boys in secondary schools do they meet friends i mean how, how is are, are there any disadvantage at all or do you say always a plus a plus plus way?
0: I see it as a complete plus. I mean, obviously, girls um, want to compete with one another, but um, actually, many um, are doing that in a sort of supportive, collaborative way, uh, rather than uh, rivalry, as you say. Um, and obviously, in a girls' school, the girls get on with each other because uh, they need friends, and uh, they have a lot of fun, actually. There's a really relaxed atmosphere in girls' schools, uh, because they can just be themselves.
1: So if if a parent wishes their daughter to go to an all-girls school, is it right that it should be coming out of council budgets or should should they then be looking for a private school if that's what they want to do?
0: Well, I think it's um, only fair that uh, councils respond to what parents want. Um, Obviously, there are very, very good girls' independent schools um, in your part of the world. Um, Unfortunately, one of them is closing in, in Glasgow, so you're going to have to go further afield now. Um, But um, And those schools will offer bursaries, so that will be one way of people attending uh, maybe without um, having to pay. Uh, But surely if there is a demand for girls' schools, it shouldn't just be independent schools that are satisfying that demand
1: right and and the argument that's going on at Notre Dame High at the moment, do you think the uh, the council are right in um, letting you know give, giving the various options to the school, or should it, should this just be knocked on the head?
0: Um, Well, I suppose you have to always move with the time. So I suppose councils do have to um, think about um, who they're consulting with. Um, But I do think the parents who are sending their daughters to uh, Notre Dame, who've made that positive choice, um, should be the ones who have the the greatest say, uh, because uh, they're the ones who are actively um, hoping that the the, the school remains uh, single-sex.
1: So, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us and giving us your views. Sue Hinks is president of the Girls' School Association. So what do you think? 0333 2020 401 is the number if you'd like to, to make a comment. Love to hear from you. Uh, here's Jenny. Jenny, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Your point, please.
7: Uh, my point is I keep hearing this idea that there's some kind of plethora of other schools that kids from um, Notre Dame's catchment, um, primary schools can go to, and it's my kids go to Notre Dame Primary. It's just not true. Um, our kids have to put in place and request to go into non-denominational schools. The neighbouring schools are co-educational, they are non-denominational, and they're full. They're full to the brim. We've got very little chance of getting in. Notre Dame is our local school, and my son can't go there. But it's letting in girls from Sterling, from Cote Bridge, from all over the place, and it's not full. Mm. You know, why, why are my kids being excluded from their local school for something that can't even fill up the school?
1: So this goes against what we were hearing earlier, saying that um, you, you had plenty of options in, in the Absolutely. local Absolutely. We
7: do not have plenty of options at all. Hindland is full. Head is full. You have to get your name on a waiting list at birth to get into Jordan Hill. It's ridiculous. It's a fantasy.
1: So where, where do you go with your, your son then? I mean, are, are you you would be in agreement, I would presume, of, of Notre Dame being open to, to all?
7: Absolutely, yeah. Um, the school that he's supposed to go to is St Thomas Aquinas. It's several miles away. There's no direct transport links. It's too far for him to walk. I'd certainly not let him loose on a bike on those roads. Mm-hmm. They're hugely congested. So, yeah, I'm going to have to get in the car every day to drive him to school and back when I've got a school that he could have walked
1: to. Where there are according to um to Jill there are something like what's eighty odd places, did you say? Empty spaces yeah. every day.
7: And less and less kids from the local area going every year. There's there's only about twenty percent of kids from the catchment area that go to that school. So it's a
1: very exclusive school then, isn't it?
7: It is. And well it's very yeah, it's excluding my kids, yes. for sure. <laughs> yes, that's
1: that's 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 the point, indeed. Yeah. OK, thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you. Uh, because that does uh, clear up and give us another side of the argument that we're hearing there, that uh, there's plenty options, uh, according to Michelle Watt, uh, Chair of the Parent Council. Um, not according to Joe Grady and not according to, to Jenny there as well. We've got Jennifer now. Jenny and Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. Oops, we just lost one, I think. Oh, no, got Jennifer back. Hi there. Yeah. Hi there, got you. How are you?
8: I'm fine, thanks.
1: Good. And your point, please?
8: Yeah, I'd just like to ask a question. It was mentioned about budget cuts earlier, but I'm wondering, is it right for the council to spend 750000 on a school, which is already top-performing, to serve parents who have the option for their boys and girls to go to St Thomas Aquinas? Um, they can transition up there without placement requests now. This is confirmed by the council. Therefore, so are we not wasting council money in order to change a school to suit their boys?
1: So, sorry, I missed where they were spending that money. How are they getting that?
8: Yes, well, yeah. that's in the proposed consultation. If to right. change the school to suit um, boys now attending, it would cost about 750000
1: It's a fair chunk of money, isn't it? Absolutely.
8: At a time, as, as mentioned earlier, where there are cuts, um, it seems strange that we would spend that money um, on the top-performing school when these parents already have choice of another local co-educational uh, Catholic school.
1: But according to uh, Jenny that was on before you, they don't have that much of a choice.
8: There's well, n- that determines how far they, they think is is local because they, you know, they are part of the St. A. Thomas Aquinas, Notre Dame learning community. Right. Therefore, they are actually deemed as being in another local catchment area school, which is St. Thomas Aquinas.
4: Okay.
1: So the
8: money- I, would also, I would also ask the question of how many other schools across the city have to travel more than two miles to their mm-hmm. local school? I would imagine there's quite a large number of schools. To and I would, I would imagine
1: that's miles. not just Glasgow. I'd imagine that's that's all yeah. over. That they have to Ab- absolutely. Right.
8: If we if we determine that two miles is too far for these parents to travel, will the city begin to look at local schools? And if there's a school further than two miles, will they have to make some some arrangements for children across the city?
1: OK, thank you very much indeed for adding to the debate, Jennifer. Uh, once again, that number is 333 2020 if you'd like to, to add to that as well. You can also uh, answer on Twitter. Uh, we are hashtag Scotland's Talking, plus, of course, on the emails, ally at thegreatesthits.co.uk, and the text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali, if there's any comment you would like to make throughout the programme. Scotland's talking. The podcast asking the question on Scotland's talking: Should Scotland's last state school for girls start taking in boys? Uh, on the text, there uh, is one that says, uh, "Enjoying the show." It's from Kenny enjoying the show, but I cannot believe. The absolute nonsense from those people promoting a single-sex school. This is the 21st century. Quality and diversity is essential in today's society where race, gender and sexuality are not an issue. Time for a change on Notre Dame. Okay, thank you, Kenny. It's all about opinions. Uh, Give us yours. Let's go to Sarah next. Hello, Sarah.
9: Hi there. Good morning. Good morning. So So what's your view then? Jill made the point earlier that girls and boys from Notre Dame Primary can not transition to secondary school together. However, they actually do have that choice. Chris Cunningham, the convener of education for Glasgow City Council, has confirmed that boys and girls from Notre Dame Primary can transition to St. Thomas Aquinas Secondary School. Now, Jenny made the point about St. Thomas Aquinas. She's worried about sending her children there because it's several miles away. In actual fact, it's only 2.1 miles from Notre Dame Primary School to St Thomas Aquinas Primary School. And you'll find, if you look at children across Glasgow, 2.1 miles is much less than the majority of children across Glasgow have to travel to get to secondary school. So I think the distance argument is null and void.
1: Do you think the argument, uh, Sarah, is more about people wishing to send boys there and and indeed against a single-sex school rather than distance. It is that, isn't it? Let, let's lay the cards on the table. It's about yes. single-sex schools. It's not about distance at all. Well,
9: well, no. I think the people who are leading this campaign, if you look, not just for all, who Jill is a speaker for, one of their main arguments has been distance. If you look at the information they put into the council, if you look in their social media pages, they have used the distance argument for a long time. They've also used the argument that boys and girls, that their sons and daughters can't transition to the same secondary school, but they do have that choice. So, you know, if they want their boys and girls to transition together, why not send them to St. Thomas Aquinas? They're not, they're not being asked to send them to a school that's, you know, maybe 10 miles away. Mm-hmm, I would mm-hmm. still pass 2.1 miles as a local school.
1: So what do you, what is your argument against them allowing boys in to Notre Dame taking away this distance uh, objection because that yes. you know you're saying you, they could send them to St Thomas but if yes. they want to send them to Notre Dame what, what's wrong with that
9: I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to choose coeducation for your um, for your children however I think St. Notre Dame Secondary is the last single-sex state school in Scotland. England, Ireland and Wales have hundreds of single-sex schools. I think it's all about choice. We've got many schools in Glasgow that are celebrated for offering choice something that's a little bit different. We have the School of Sport, we have the School of Dance, and we've got the Football School, we've got Jordan Hill, we've got the Gaelic School. So why take away this choice? It's, it's about offering, it. we're not forcing people into single sex, but we're saying keep it as a
1: choice. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Sarah. Stephen, good morning. Good morning. Your point, please.
10: Well, I would just like to uh, put my point across that uh, I'm in favour of uh, keeping it as it is. Uh, I've got one daughter there and another attending in the summer uh, who both will be using uh, local buses uh, on a four-mile trip, so I don't understand what that argument's about. But also, the the families uh, who are concerned about uh, changing it to a, a, a boys' and girls' school, was this not a factor when they decided to buy a house in the area? Didn't they concern themselves with the thought that the local school was for all girls only.
1: Was that a factor when you bought your house then?
10: Well, it certainly was. I I bought a house, I I stay approximately four miles away, eh, and knowing that that Notre Dame, eh, my girls actually attend a a, a school where they get um, access to Notre Dame directly, eh, and that was certainly eh, a factor when I bought my house, yes, that they could attend that school. So isn't that the same the other way Mm round? Isn't that a factor for the other families who know that boys can attend that school?
1: Why do you want to send your daughters to an all-girls school, Stephen?
10: Well, it, it's, it's for the attainment, really. It, it's, it's purely and simply for attainment. And that's not to say that St Thomas Aquinas, Highland, Head, aren't doing well. They're at the top of the tables. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they all perform well on their own right. But not as am for us, just seemed like a sensible choice. My wife went there, spoke highly of it. Um, why wouldn't I send my girls there if I have the choice?
1: And again, that is what many people have been saying this morning. It is about choice, isn't it? And and you made that choice for your girls for their benefit, I would presume, for 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 their future.
10: Yeah, absolutely. But I, I see this more of a, a a question of convenience. I'm not hearing a lot coming from the other side regarding uh, the educational benefits. It's all about the convenience of having that school on their doorstep so that boys and girls and their family can attend. When this has been the case for 120 years now, that it's only ever been girls. So I, I'm, I'm failing to see really the educational benefits of having boys in that school.
1: One of the arguments that was put earlier on uh, there, Stephen, was that local um, people, boys, I would presume within that argument, can't get in to that school that's on their doorstep. But people are coming from uh, Lanarkshire, from v- various areas that are miles away um, okay. and, and, and being allowed into that school. Is, is that right
10: well, this is another thing. It's been blown out of proportion. They're making it out as if um, you know a small percentage of girls come from Glasgow, and there is hundreds coming from all over uh, outside the city boundary, which isn't the case. I can tell you that for a fact. However, it is very multicultural, and it does give these other girls um, a chance to thrive in uh, a school that attends good level of education, as opposed to the deprived areas, and I don't really want to keep harping on it, but deprived areas, deprived is all over Glasgow, however this gives these girls the opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise get And
1: more of an opportunity than they would get, you're saying in a co-educational school
10: Quite possibly so in other areas of the city, quite possibly so mm-hmm. the, the, the area we're talking about, the locality we're talking about in the west end of Glasgow the high schools there are doing very well, if we start to go outside that area the high schools are maybe not performing as well, which would be the schools that these girls would have to attend. So we're giving them the chance to, to further themselves.
1: OK, Stephen, thank you very much indeed. Good to, to hear from uh, a parent uh, who has uh, uh, girls there uh, with that argument. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Your point on this then?
5: My, well, to, uh, to start with, I'm neither a parent of a child in Glasgow. I am not a Catholic but I do think that uh, schools should be co-educational. It shouldn't be single-sex schools in this day and age. But the point I was wanting to make was spending £750,000 on Notre Dame High to make it co-ed. The only thing I can see is necessary is to make boys' toilets, to be honest. And that's it. I think they're they're making this £750,000 a sticking point because they're wanting to upgrade the school. And further to that... I don't see why there should be religious schools council-funded anyway.
1: That is That has been a point, you know, that um, has probably uh, not come out so far, uh, although it was one of the um, points I was making right at the beginning. Is this something that a council should be funding? Uh, and you, you're you saying no?
5: No, I don't think so. I, I think the, the, the schools should all be co-educational and they should be local schools. So, but uh, the point that I was wanting to make was the 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 point that the the lady in the first instance made about seven spending seven hundred and fifty thousand on it to to convert it to, to co-ed, mm-hmm. which seems a bit. Uh, I, I'd like a breakdown of her figures, to be
1: honest. Yeah, it seems a lot of money, but um, as you say, it could be other things that required to be done apart just from toilets and maybe. And
5: things. making the making it coed as the excuse for doing it. Uh, so uh, that's one of their arguments for it not being quid is because of what it's going to cost. Uh, so if we got a break down our figures to to just see exactly what they're going to do with that amount of money, it might be more interesting.
1: Okay, Andrew, thank you very much indeed for for your comments. Um, a couple coming in on text, and there's one here that says Notre Dame is a local school. It is undersubscribed by local kids, and that's from Claire. In Glasgow, yes, that that point was being made earlier on, uh, Claire. But um, there's another one here from Ken, and he says, "I thought that the prime of Miss Jean Brodie was set in the 1930s, not today." Thank you very much for that. And uh, we've got some uh, can another call coming in that will take us through to the news in a second. And also, just uh, go to this. Comment that's coming in here on the text. One of the girls at secondary school in Glasgow, approximately 12,000, less than 1% can attend Notre Dame in any given year. It's totally elitist. Also, hardly huge demand if 12,000 girls can't fill a school of 800. OK, thank you for that. Um, I don't quite understand it, but um, I've read it out anyway. Thanks for that. Uh, keep those comments coming in regarding that as we go into the next hour. If you still have a comment you would like to make uh, regarding uh, the last state school for girls, should it start taking boys, uh, then, of course, the number is O 2020 401 As I say, keep those calls coming in. In the next hour, I'll be asking the question, uh, do you think refugees should be allowed to work while they're waiting to find out if they're going to be allowed to stay in the country? At the moment, I understand that they're, they're not allowed to work, uh, but there are many people who, amongst them who are well qualified to do jobs that we might be, uh, at the moment, short of. Uh, Glasgow City Council is trying to get the Home Office to agree to a pilot scheme where they could take on a job six months, maybe, after they've made their application for asylum. So, as I say, currently they're not allowed to work unless their claim has been outstanding for at least a year uh, through no fault of their own. So what's your thoughts on that? Would they be taking away jobs? um, Or, indeed, if these jobs are there that require full then why not? You know, because we hear of people who've uh, asylum um, seekers who have been trained in medical, trained in medicine and uh, who who can't work, can't do anything, when we could be using their skills um, or not. Talk about that in the next hour. And have you had a change of career? Have you decided on a dramatic career change through your lifetime? Uh, there's a campaign starting to encourage more men to take up nursing And we'll be hearing uh, uh, from uh, Bruce, who was uh, fairly well up in the banking sector and he changed our thing. I just started to, to think to myself, did you make a change from one career to another? Fairly major change. We'll be talking about that in the next hour. Music and conversation for a Sunday morning. This is Scotland's Talkin'. Good morning.
6: You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talk In.
1: Should Scotland's last state school for girls start taking in boys? Uh, Quite a lot of comments on social media. Let me just read a couple out for you. It's outrageous that local boys are excluded from the local secondary school. Uh, We are in 2019 and telling boys that they are not good enough to go to the local school is simply not okay. I'm a Glasgow City Council taxpayer and I'm aghast that my money is being used to fund discrimination. Thank you. John sends this one and he says, We owe it to our kids to provide the best education we can give them, regardless of creed, colour, sex, and have nothing to fear from an educated youth. Combined with this learning should be social skills and interaction, preparing youngsters for the modern world. Today we are told we need to be inclusive, non-judgmental. And by educating children separately in terms of religion or sex seems to me to be contrary to this. John V, thank you for your comments. It's all about opinions. Yvonne, good morning. What's yours?
11: Hello, good morning. Good morning. Hiya. What I've been hearing largely is that the arguments in favour are from people benefiting from the current arrangements. We did hear a caller say it's been like this for over 100 years, Mm. but women weren't able to vote 105 years ago. Times change and budgets have been slashed. I've got boy-girl twins and I'm in Lanarkshire. Can I have a separate sex boy-girl school, please? Would that be possible?
1: Would you want it?
11: No, I wouldn't. And there's another point that we keep hearing in this argument for any sort of separation of, of kids in our schools is hearing about examples down south. But the case down south is in Scotland, these schools are 100% state-funded. And when you look at examples down south, the church often funds at least 10% of the cost and pays for the building upkeep. So we're not comparing like with like. So it's an argument we often hear, we don't have this issue down south. But it's an entirely different funding model. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the argument largely now is surrounding funds. If we look at what people are doing, not just with sex, but in terms of religious schools, etc., across Europe, the whole model's changing. And we never hear that debate brought into a Scottish context. We tend to look at ourselves as in a goldfish bowl, but we don't look outwards to actually see what's happening elsewhere.
1: When you look at the, as you say, it's happening elsewhere, happening down south, happening, what's happening in Scotland, different things. Can I ask how old your kids are? They're
11: primarily seven
1: primary service high school okay are you then at the moment happy with the education they're receiving in scotland and at the schools they're in
11: yes i am and they're at a school which is in in, an area of deprivation quite an affluent area but i think as a parent i think it's my responsibility to get involved with school and help bring the school up for everyone within the school community whether you're a a boy, a girl, gender neutral, whatever colour you are, whatever religion you are, I don't care. I think it's the jobs of the communities to bring all our young people up to respect all the differences. And that's certainly a Scotland I would like to see in the future. Not particularly the one we have just now, which is perpetuated by division and multiple grounds. You see a difference in someone and you go for the divide. I don't think that's helpful or indeed healthy for the future of Scotland.
1: And have you got involved in your, your children's schooling? Do you, do you get involved with the, the running of it?
11: Um, Yeah, I was on the um, PTA and I was on, my husband sits in the parents' council. I'll go in and mentor, I've gone in and done entrepreneurial workshops. I'll do the same in the transition to high school. I mentor children across Glasgow, mostly from deprived areas, in terms of what the future could be like for them. And to be honest, I don't care whether they're male, female, um, whether they come from an affluent background or you know, some mostly it's, it's disadvantaged backgrounds. But I, I, I think we should cut the division, particularly and it does at the end of the day come down to budget. If you want to pay for these things then absolutely. But otherwise, you know, we're kinda all in it together. Mm-hmm. No one's paying any more, now we all pay the same sort of council tax, you know, depending on the size of your house, obviously. But nobody in particular is shouting we want to pay an extra you know, percentage on their income taxes per se that will allow all of this. But where do you draw the line? I mean, it comes down to, you know, you've got it in religious, I think there's three different types of religious schools funded, but not all religions funded. Because people wanting in boys' schools, people want in girls' schools, and ultimately now we're starting to recognise people who are gender neutral. Where do they go? It's, it's nuts. We're so just storing up problems for the future. And at the end of the day, we're all human.
1: Yvonne, would you just hang on there for a second because I've got Kerry on the, the other line and um, from the information I've been given, Kerry, am I right to say that you're a parent from Notre Dame school, is that right?
12: Good morning, yes. Good. I've got a daughter at Notre Dame.
1: Right, okay. So what's your view on this then?
12: Um, well, I have a daughter and I also have two sons um, who are both, one at primary and one not at school yet. Um, my daughter is very much of the opinion that Notre Dame needs to stay um, as it is. But she feels that it's um, allows her to, to be who she wants to be and not feel any pressure from having um, sort of boys within the classroom. Um, I would say, as well, my sons will attend St Thomas Aquinas, which is the other school in the learning community. St Thomas Aquinas is an excellent school, uh, and I'll be quite happy for my boys to attend there.
1: How old is your daughter?
12: Uh, she's in second year. She's 13.
1: She's 13, right. So she, she's been how long at this school? At Notre Dame?
12: She's in second year now, so she's uh, she's been there for almost two years.
1: Right. So she she's then gone through primary where there have been boys and girls, right?
12: Absolutely yes. And, and she's she now gone. A, sorry, she didn't attend a feeder school for right. Notre Dame. She Yes. So sorry. I'm just I'm
1: just thinking she's giving you her thoughts. She's you know, she's thirteen, she's um old enough to, to give us some thoughts here and, and she's seeing it better. I was just wondering, is she seeing it? the way she sees it in the in the, what she's telling you is better because there's no distractions or whatever. Um, is she saying that because that's what she's been told by the, the teachers in that particular school?
12: Absolutely not. She's very much her own person. Um, she made the decision to go to Notre Dame. Um, she was the only girl from her primary school that attended there. Um, the rest of them transitioned to St Thomas Aquinas. Um, when she visited them both, she felt that Notre Dame had a much more nurturing community. Um, and that's what she felt that she needed going into high school, which I agreed with. Um, I was obviously very happy for her to go there. Um, I, th- I don't think it's right for all, all girls, but I think it's definitely right for some girls, and I think having that choice is what's really important.
1: But what about the comment there from Yvonne that if that's a choice you want for your daughter, then you should be paying for it, and and it shouldn't be the, the council that's paying for it?
12: I don't really agree with that. I think that that's saying that only, these skills can only be available to those that can pay for it. Um, Notre Dame currently takes girls from so many deprived areas and are people that really want this option. Why should that
11: only be given to more affluent communities?
1: OK, that's a good point, Yvonne. What's your thoughts on that?
11: And that's exactly the argument that is only being available to a certain amount of people in the school in Glasgow. My kids love sports, so where's the tennis school in Lanarkshire that they can attend? This is the whole point. It's only, it's only a, a tiny amount of people who can benefit from it. So I'm not surprised that there's 80 pupils short in that school, but they're benefiting from small classrooms. Everyone in Scotland would love to benefit from a small classroom. Mm. I don't see why we should take away the, the options if we have them available, though. And that's exactly my point. So we're saying it's not equal. So it's people benefiting from the system, 80 pupils short in that school. So why don't we put a further 80 pupils in or let the the boys in? It's people benefiting saying, yeah, we've got small class sizes, it's a nurturing environment. All of Scotland's schools should be able to offer a nurturing environment for all of Scotland's children. There shouldn't be any division. And if there has to be division based on any sort of criteria, then there should be people paying for it. And that's what happens mostly elsewhere. They are not state funded. But you could say the same for the Gaelic School or for Jordan Hill.
12: Absolutely. benefit? Ab- um, and absolutely. they're held up as, as an exemplar for, for the, the city of Glasgow? Why is Notre Dame not being but held up in that but, same?
11: Yeah, but what is the key? It's small class sizes. It's focusing on the children. It's been able to meet an individual child's needs. It's not the fact that it's a Gaelic School. It's not the fact that it's a girls' school. It's not the fact of the religion of that school. It's the fact that there is investment within the school. All schools of small class sizes and teachers now that offer a big, varied, wide curriculum is what we should be aiming for for all our children. And we keep hearing this argument from people benefiting from having children. I I purposely do not send my children to a three-paying school. It's something I don't agree with. I could do it, but I purposely won't do it. And I'll purposely work with this. My kid's school doesn't even have walls. It's an open-plan school. 320 children with no walls. If you've never experienced it, then I would... I'm trying. I'm, try try trying try pic, I'm
1: trying to picture. I'm trying to picture never mind experience Open it.
11: Plan. Open plan, separated by bookshelves. Someone at some point came up thinking this is a great idea, separated by bookshelves. That's what my, That's the learning environment my children have brought up in. Now the school's so big, they're in a porta cabin. A nice porta cabin. They're in a porta cabin. But ultimately, it's the quality of the education the kids receive, and I don't think we should be. Especially, it appalls me to hear we've got spaces in a school when my kids are at a school that's got ninety pupils over. What the capacity should have been
1: that's what we should be looking at in Scotland OK Yvonne, thank you very much indeed Kerry, thanks for your call as well so there we are, there's a, a couple of opposing views there a school with no walls, right must be murder for the teachers <laughs> that's nowhere to hide Uh 2020 401 is the number if you'd like to join us we will be talking about refugees and also changing careers right after these Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Okay, uh, on to refugees then. Do you think refugees should be allowed to work while they're waiting to find out if they're going to be allowed to stay in the country? Glasgow City Council is trying to get the Home Office to agree to a pilot scheme where they could take on a job six months after they've made their application for asylum. Currently, they're not allowed to work unless their claim has been outstanding for at least a year through no fault of their own. Glasgow has more asylum seekers living there than any other local authority area in the United Kingdom. So should asylum seekers become job seekers? Or do we have enough people looking for work already without adding more? Graham O'Neill is a policy officer with the Scottish Refugee Council and he's been speaking to Natalie Crawford for Scotland's talk
4: We know that it's something that people really desperately want, you know, people who are seeking refugee protection uh, and are in Glasgow, you know, are very skilled and talented individuals that have that have fled very traumatic circumstances, but are desperate to contribute, desperate to be part of Glasgow and Scottish society. Uh, and and the Home Office, in our view, ve- very senselessly uh, denies people that right to work, and that right to dignity that work gives you. Um, and we say senselessly in two, two ways. Firstly, morally, you know, everybody can understand that we all want to work uh, and how good that can be and the friendships that you can, you can have. And then the second part the economic case is we've got very talented people here that have fled traumatic circumstances in Syria or Eritrea or Afghanistan or other troubled parts of the world. And they really want to contribute and they can contribute Um, and have a very strong work ethic so you know it makes a lot of sense economically as well.
3: What would you say to somebody that felt that asylum seekers shouldn't be allowed to work and you know there isn't enough jobs to go around to people that are already here without adding more job seekers to the marketplace?
4: I suppose I, I understand why the question's been asked but the way we would talk about this is to see the issues around unemployment Job insecurity, people having precarious existences, are not at all to do with people seeking refugee protection, and are absolutely to do with political priorities at a UK and Scottish level, which are the real ways that we can start to try and drive out issues of poverty and uh, you know job insecurity and unemployment. Um, in terms of the numbers of people, we're talking a very small number of people. You know, Britain's like UK is about 70 million people. Glasgow is about 600,000 people. Um, asylum seekers in Glasgow account for about 4,000 people. Um, you know, so we're not talking about very, very high numbers of individuals. Um, and often what people will want to do is they'll want to contribute in ways that they can. Um, you know, so that it'll be uh, the people we work with who are seeking refugee protection are often just trying to find ways to enter the labour market, but they've been denied that opportunity. Um you know, so people really just want to get into a workplace and, and contribute. Graham O'Neill, policy
1: officer with the Scottish Refugee Council. Now, Mohammed Asif is co-founder of Glasgow Refugees Action Group and fled to Scotland from Afghanistan nearly 20 years ago. He joins us now on the line. Uh, good morning to you, Mohammed. Uh, is is it something that, um, uh, as we were hearing there, uh, is it something that all um, asylum seekers want to achieve? Is it, is it what they want to get into and quicker than they're doing at the moment?
13: Uh, good morning. Yes, obviously, because uh, asylum seekers, most of them are very educated, very talented. They bring different skills to uh, whichever country they're in, especially in Scotland, because Scotland at the moment is uh, suffering from skilled workers, you know, and, and we have in our country here uh, people who are doing nothing, uh, uh, you know, not allowed to do anything, which is quite sad. And if they're skilled and their... If their skills are utilised, I think it will better the Scottish economy, the Scottish society. And people don't want to be burdened on the state, on the handouts. So, uh, you know, let them uh, work, uh, treat them with dignity, because uh, it's the basic human right, you know, uh, to work.
1: What type of skills are we talking about, Mohammed? that are available to be used in Scotland at the moment that we're not using?
13: We have, uh, to be honest, you know, uh, we have uh, doctors who work in their countries. We have nurses. We have teachers. We have, you know, low-skilled workers. We have uh, businessmen. We have scientists. You know, a range of skills. You know, it varies, uh, and it's, it's it's an abundance here. Uh, but sadly, you know, the system is uh, designed in such a way to humiliate people, and uh, you know, to make them desperate uh, to leave this country.
1: And you think that's what it is it's it's a case of trying to make those who come to our country who fl- who flee to our country trying to make them feel that they should go back is that what you're saying that they're not wanted
13: yeah, yeah. I, it, it, you see at the moment uh, you know uh, if you look at the prime minister when she was the home secretary you know she created the environment of fear and hate you know, where when they're running around, you know, saying that migrants go home or face a risk. Uh, you know, like, and and if you look at the history of this country, it's not asylum seekers or refugees or the working class people who damage the economy. You know, the the British economy was damaged. The recession was brought about by the bankers, by the rich, you know, by the tax avoidance, uh, by the multimillionaire and billionaire who try to have offshore accounts and don't pay their share amount of taxes. But at the end, you know, the right-wing media and the right-wing politicians, they blame it on asylum seekers and migrants. And if you look at the statistics just recently, a few months ago, that if asylum seekers are allowed, they would put extra 43 million in the kitty. So, you know, the, 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 the economy will benefit. And if I, let's say, if I want to work and if I can maintain myself and maintain my family and I can pay my rent and I can you know, buy my own clothes and my own food, why should I ask and beg on the road? You know, Mm. it's just common sense, you know. Uh, You don't allow me to work, you know, and and uh, let me tell your audience that asylum seekers only get 37 pounds a week. So you have uh, between that 37 pounds a week, you have so many solicitor's appointments, GP appointments, and you are not paid for your travel expenses, you know. You have to pay your GP appointments, your travel uh, expenses, your uh, solicitor's appointment, your legal appointment, uh, there's £35, it's £5 a week, but at the end of the day, you're not even left with £2, because the rest you have to spend, uh, you know, going to your appointments, And it's just £37 a week. I don't think so £37 a week will damage the British economy. And, and if you look at the uh, amount of asylum seekers coming to Britain, it's hardly anything. You know, look at the poor countries. You know, look at Jordan, they have two to three million, Lebanon, three million, Pakistan had about seven million Afghans, Iran have about two million, and also, you know, in African countries, they take uh, asylum seekers in millions. End of the day, it's Britain and America in the West who create asylum seekers, they bomb their countries, they destroy their countries, they destroy their livelihoods, and when they come here, they're told, go back to your country.
1: How frustrating is it then for asylum seekers and Indeed, people like yourself, when you hear uh, general comments, which and and, you know, I have to say they've been made on this program before, that uh, the asylum seekers get houses, they get money, they get everything, whilst um, people in Scotland are sometimes left to go to food banks, etc. There seems to be seems to be that impression. You're saying they get thirty seven pounds a week, and they get no payment for going here, there, and everywhere. Um, But uh, public opinion seems to be different.
13: Yeah, but you look at the economy again, you know, it's not asylum seekers uh, who brought the food banks. You know, it's the Tory the and the Labour Party austerities which is in place for many, many years. You know, what the pensioners get here, what the retired people get here, nothing actually. You know, the rich get richer in this country and the poor, if they're asylum seekers or the uh, indigenous or the Scottish people or any other uh, people in this country. It's not asylum seekers who take their houses. And if you look at the Home Office, the Home Office Select Committee, you know, uh, e- Ebit Cooper, you know, the chair, uh, you know, the Circo lost their contract for housing because the, their housing was not fit for human beings. You know, mm. the yeah. housing uh, they provided were, were not fit for, you know, habitation. And uh, it's the Home Office who are actually uh, paying Circo and other organizations. Uh, and they uh, themselves is saying that 70 or 80 percent of their accommodation is not fit for human beings to live in. So that's the kind of accommodation uh, asylum seekers get. You know, it's the uh, the accommodation that I don't think so many local people would want to live. Yeah. You know, and in that accommodation. But again, end of the day, if the system is designed in such a way that the poor uh, are you know against each other, and and the tourists and others in the rich, you know, they enjoy their life where the tourists. The, the, the poor are suffering in this country.
1: So the move that is currently underway from Glasgow City Council trying to get the Home Office to agree to a pilot scheme that they could take on jobs six months after their application, instead of waiting a year, that is obviously a, a move that is welcomed by you, but do you think it's going to be successful?
13: I uh, We very much welcome, because it, uh, as I said, it will uh, benefit everyone end of the today, and uh, you know, the, currently, even, you know, once for asylum, when you submit your case for asylum, I think immediately, you know, we are asking you should be allowed. You know, on the paper, you know, it's called IS 96 or 86, there's some sort of paper from the Home Office. It says work permission not allowed. You know, the moment you apply for asylum and you get that piece of paper, it should say that, you know, work permitted. So you go and work, you know. Uh, Even if you, you know, can do a low-skill sort of job, you know, you can still maintain, you know, yourself. And you can look after yourself rather than begging on the road and and be a burden on the state. So if I want to work, when I arrived in this country, I was not allowed by the system to work for six months. And once I got my work permission, I'm never without a job since then. You know, I'm, I'm here 19 years. And within that 19 years, the home office did not allow me to work for six months. The rest, all I work in, I paid my taxes. I paid my own rent, and uh, maybe to certain extent, you know, I even bought my own house. You know, uh, thanks to Scotland, which provided me this opportunity in the people of this country.
1: Mohamed, thank you very much indeed for joining us and and laying down some of the groundwork that we're talking about there and, and. laying it out for us. Uh, Mohammed is co-founder of the Glasgow Refugees Action Group and as he mentioned, he came to Scotland from Afghanistan some 20 years ago. So what do you think about what he's been saying and what Glasgow Council uh, are trying to get them to do in the fact that they can work uh, when they come here rather than um, living off benefits or, or as Mohammed says, £37 a week or whatever. And if... if um, we, in the refugees that are there, there are people with medical experiences, whether they're, they're doctors, they're nurses, um, or whatever. Uh, surely we should be welcoming that and providing that their medical qualifications can be um, tested and, and make sure they're up to the standards in this country. What, what do you think? Uh, should we be opening it up and saying, yes, they can work? Welcome your thoughts. The number again is 0333 2021. Four oh one. Let's go to John Carr. Hi, John. How are you?
14: Yes. Good morning, Ali. How are you, my
1: friend? Good, thank you. Your thoughts on this?
14: Well, um, first of all, I would partially agree with the gentleman who was on, in that um, we are direct. Our country and America are directly responsible for these people coming here because they sell the arms. They make billions of pounds by. Telling these people arms, which causes all the problems in the first place. Over and above that, we have people who come into this country. Now, for years and generations in this country, we had the labour movement and the unions who fought to try and get the, the wage of the working man brought up to a decent living standard. Now... A tradesman now working in this country is working for less now than he did 10 years ago. Why is that? It's because people are coming into this country and undercutting the working man. And they love it. The, the bureaucrats and all the people, they all love it because they're paying the same money to get the same job done, only getting it done cheaper. Because your man is coming in from abroad and saying, a plasterer earns £12 an hour, I'll do it for six okay, that's a good, healthy market, you might think. But it isn't a good, healthy market. Because at the end of the day, the finished product's still the same price. So it's the working man who has been held down. Now, if we had a, a a load of jobs where everybody was happy and everybody was keen and everybody had fancy motors and everybody was making good money, then there's absolutely no problem, Ali, by bringing more people into the country. But the way it stands at the present moment, all the working man sees is people coming into the country, you can't get a doctor, the National Health getting hammered, Housing's getting hammered. But John, people the
1: people we're we talking about are here in this country. We're not bringing them in to do these jobs. They are here in the country. They are refugees seeking asylum. So they are stay- they're staying here anyway. They're not coming in from other countries to take up a plasterer's job or whatever. They are people who are fleeing the troubles in their country. They have been doctors, they've been nurses, yes, there may be plasterers as well, but they're, they're not yep. being brought into... They are actually here.
14: No, they're coming in by the thousands, Ali. Where about? All over the country. All over the country they're coming in. You're telling me they're not coming in, Ali. They're coming in every week. Every week they're coming into our country. And there's no work for them. And there's nothing here for them. But they're getting plenty. The government seems to be paying them plenty to come here. £37 a week. Why is that? Well, is it £37 a week? Because I'm reading on... Uh, the press and then Facebook, maybe it's, I shouldn't be able to believe in it, that they're getting more money than our pensioners get, who have paid into the system all their life.
1: So here say what you're saying.
14: Well, it's too different. It's, uh, I think it's due to the government, then you make it very, very clear. I just, it's exactly I, what they're getting.
1: I just don't see where you're saying they're coming in this country every week by the thousands. That's that's just scare uh, scaremongering social media stuff, that is, John.
14: Well, they're no coming in then. Is that what you're telling me, Ali? They're, they're, they've just appeared here. No, what I'm They're talk- no coming in. These are- I mean, Ali, Ali, our country is that, looks that good to these people that they're prepared to go and rob our dinghies and put their life at risk to get into this country. It's that good. Every week they're doing it, Ali, and robber dingies. dinghies to get into this country. They're coming over in trucks and lorries and paying gangsters, all sorts of money, just to get into this country. Is that good. When do we draw the line, Ali? I don't mind helping people, but you've got to look after your own first.
1: OK, John, thank you very much indeed. It's all about opinions. That's John's. If you've got one, agreeing or disagreeing, still time for getting... O treble three twenty twenty four oh one is the telephone number. You can also text six one oh five four. Start your message with Ali or email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk.
6: You're listening to Scotland's Talkin' the podcast. Join the
1: conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Uh, let's go to Willie. Hello, Willie. Good morning.
6: Good morning, Ali. <coughs> Excuse me. I'd just like to reply to what some of the things John was saying there. Basically, John read out a litany of um, propaganda that's put out in the, the Sun, the Daily Mail, the Daily Express uh, all over Facebook that, 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 that immigrants, the people coming in, the refugees coming into this country are driving the working man's wage down. All of these sort of things. Now, there's one thing has driven wages down in the last 10 years, and that's the Tory government and its policies. They have shredded any protection the workers had from unions and have taken full advantage of that to, to make sure that wages have kept low and haven't increased in any significant way. Uh, to blame People driven from their lands by by war and destruction uh, for doing that. Just uh, I just don't know how he can make that connection. It's it's propaganda he's putting mm. out. He's he's taking it in. He's not looking at it properly. He's not using his his faculties to decide for himself. He's accepting all of the the stuff that has been spoon fed, and then he has come on air. And say that as fact, but that's we what listen. that's
1: what he believes, and that's yeah, but that's but his I, opinion, I, and that's, that's what that's what John, the programme's about. You know, I wouldn't like I'm to. I'm think-
6: asking John to use his faculties more to to look behind the headlines and the, the, these papers, Tory propaganda ads. Look behind the, that, that and get the real facts. Listen to the, the guy that was on from the refugees uh, from from the, the, the led this this part of the programme. He has experienced it twenty years. He knows what he is talking about, but John dismisses him. Thirty seven pounds a week? No. No. I prefer to believe they're all in million pound houses and getting twenty thousand. Mm. You know, that that sort of thing. It's it's the way the people of this country are continually led by by propaganda in the papers, the lies of the Tory party are accepted as fact, the lies of the right wing are accepted as fact, and then when someone tries to say, no, that's not true, look at it, look at it properly, they're dismissed as the
5: liar.
1: All right, I well, hang on there for a second, because I want to go to, to Ian uh, and see whether he agrees with you, or he's on the opposite side. Ian, good morning to you. Good morning. What's your view then?
15: Until they are granted genuine political asylum, they are proved to be genuine, Mm -hmm. they shouldn't get a work permit to work.
1: Even though it's not their fault that it's taking so long, you know, the the typical British bureaucrat... But the other question here is that why...
15: They could go to any country in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't hear them wanting to go to Russia. I don't want to. He- I don't hear about them wanting to go to China or any of the Balkan states.
1: But I, it, I mentioned there that Glasgow has more asylum seekers living. I find that there. really interesting. Yeah, that's because Glasgow Council invited them, isn't it? I don't know.
15: I haven't read into that much. But what I do say is, when you look at the general housing, social housing in Glasgow the need for social housing in Glasgow, I don't know how these councillors are getting voted in. Because the people of Glasgow should come first.
1: Well, I have to say, I I agree with Mohammed when he was talking about some of the state of the... I remember seeing a programme on on television regarding uh, the housing that the refugees were were staying in. And it was absolutely... Some of it was appalling. It was appalling. I I
15: think myself... If... on the 29th of March, we actually leave the EU, there is going to be a massive gap in the skills market in the UK with tradesmen, etc. Because you see, British companies as a whole have abandoned apprenticeships and training of tradesmen. And the only way they can refill, they're filling them, is with either EU, freedom of movement workers, or with refugees.
1: But is there not a gap at the moment when we when yes, but that gap is being plugged at the moment falsely. It's not being plugged in the health service.
15: Well <laughs> I the health service if the truth ever comes out, your average GP is on a twenty five hour week contract. They retire at fifty five I don't know one GP in my surgery practice at the moment. What idiot designed that contract? Like you, Locums, nobody wants to be a GP. They all want to be locums. Because they're picking up far more money. Absolutely. And the GPs that are still in place are sick. But the thing about refugees, how do you... Separate the genuine from the migrant economic refugee. That's the problem.
1: And and that's a question I'm afraid we're going to have to leave to another week. Ian, thank you very much indeed. And Willie, thanks for hanging on there. But we have. I've just looked at the clock there and didn't realise it was running against me so quickly. Uh, my enemy every Sunday morning is the clock on the wall. Uh, that's it for Scotland's talking today. Uh, been uh, a lot of calls still waiting to talk about schools, but um, unfortunately, and, and girl-only schools, as I say, we've got the two hours and the two hours is up. I've been Ali Bally. This has been Scotland's talking.